1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdad. I'm Greta Johnson, and we have made it through the first work week of 2021, and it felt like an actual, literal year. There was a violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday. That's on top of any number of things that are already extremely anxiety-inducing. I'm not even going to list them. You can pick your own. You're probably already sort of cycling through them in your head. Traditionally, the new year is a nice time to think about kind of turning the page. But it feels really hard this year. So on today's show, we're going to help you prepare yourself as best as we can to start this year on a positive note. We're going to talk to a psychologist about the power of positivity and the author of a book all about delight. But first, how do we balance the desire for a fresh start in a new calendar year with the harsh realities of our current existence? Here to help answer this question are not one, but two advice columnists. Heather Haverleski writes the Ask Polly column for New York Magazine. Heather, hey. Hi, Greta. And Daniel Lavery writes the Dear Prudence advice column for Slate. Danny, hey. Hey. Okay, so what do you think, Danny? Like, is 2021 just ruined? I, I certainly, you know, I, I definitely
3: value and appreciate the idea of thinking about something as a, a new start or a new beginning for something. And and I certainly am not um, against utopian thinking or or optimism or hope for the future. But certainly, I think 2021 is going to have all of the problems that 2020 had in it. So in that sense, um, I don't think it's going to be a wildly different year.
2: Yeah. So what do you think, Heather? Is it just going to be another like trash 11 months ahead of us, pretty much? Yes, but
4: (laughs) we have been through the flames, my -hmm. friends, of 2020. And we have been beaten down to flattened shape. I know that I was flattened completely by 2020. And I don't know, I feel feel pretty resilient right now. Now, granted, whenever I say that, usually the next day a giant anvil falls on my head Hmm. or a piano sometimes. So- (laughs) Both heavy objects. But I, I think there's been some adaptation. I think we're, dare I say, growing- I think this journey has been good for us. I just said this journey, Greta. I mean mm-hmm. that's how optimistic mm-hmm. I'm feeling. Okay.
2: Okay. So you're both advice columnists. You are both very smart, empathetic humans. Danny, like what were your strategies for starting the new year?
3: Gosh. I'm trying to think of, you know, what that was 6 days ago. It, it already feels like I
2: know, right? Yeah.
3: Quite quite some time ago. Um I didn't set any resolutions this year. Sometimes I do, and some years I don't. I didn't have any this year. Um, I I think the thing that I felt the most focused on was the idea of continuing and attempting to sort of stay in a daily awareness of things that had worked for me uh, in 2020 and just really hoping like, let's keep these coping mechanisms going. Let's take it a day at a time we're looking for, uh, you know, a little bit of stability. I would say 2020, at least in terms of my personal life, was a very volatile year. And so rather mm-hmm. than trying to add to that, there was just a sense of like, I started taking more walks this fall.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm just going to try to keep yeah. doing that again today. And if it didn't happen today, let's see about tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just, just unbelievably like gentle and slowed down as if I were sort of moving through molasses. <laughs>
2: So I don't know maybe this is a redundant question but like when it comes to expectations for this year like I I feel like I mean there is something really nice about calling a wrap on 2020 right and and I think about looking ahead to this year and and the expectations we want to have that this year can't possibly be as bad as last year was like I don't know is that even the right mindset to have Danny I think you'll say no right.
3: Um, I I don't I don't want to you know come out against any mindsets
2: you know. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. I
3: I think any mindset that is attempting to combine a, a certain sense of resilience with another sense <laughs> of optimism and and the sense of um,
2: yeah
3: keeping things right sized, I guess that's like that seems like a good mindset to me. I say
0: yeah, let's
3: do. I mean, I I guess what I mean is, I I have had so much trouble maintaining a consistent mindset over the last year. So, um, you know, really, I, I'm impressed with anyone who has a mindset. My mindset has just changed wildly and dramatically based on whatever I'm feeling on any given day, which I think serves as a reminder that feelings, while important, make for a lousy foundation for much of anything. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I,
4: I, I agree with you. And I, I, I felt that way, too. Exactly like that. Like I feel like a different person every day, and I I think I used to feel that way. But twenty twenty really put that in stark relief. Um, but I also think that not looking at all of the things, because when you say, "Will this yeah. year be as bad as last year?" it kind of presupposes a sort of the importance of making sure that all things are better mm-hmm. than they were, or you know, like looking yeah. at the big picture and saying, "God damn, it's just getting worse." I think that uh, for me, part of my survival depends on choosing one thing, my thing is going to be climate change mm-hmm. and figuring out how to focus on that issue and just pushing a lot of the other stuff to the side. Like I need to be a specialist now. Mm-hmm. I cannot follow the entire globe and all of its problems at once, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to be monitoring the world throughout 2021. I mean, I think social media kind of encourages us to think that way. Oh, totally. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy to monitor, to be like the traffic cop for the entire globe every single day when you wake up in the morning, which is honestly, I did have that job for a few days. I don't know if you guys knew that I was, <laughs> I mean, I was holding everything together for us. I don't yeah, know yeah, if you yeah. noticed. Yeah.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, I mean, was it the CDC last year that even recommended like a limited news intake just for mental health purposes? Like, I don't know. I think I find that conflicting though, because I also worry that if I if I'm like barricading myself from a lot of that bad news, like I'm not sure that that's necessary. I don't know. It's that's not helping either. You know?
3: Right. Yeah. I, I can definitely relate to sort of ping ponging back and forth between the two thoughts of either I need to know everything that is happening as it is happening so that I can feel worried all of the time because feeling worried all the time is a useful political intervention. Um, versus, uh, I can only feel bad about things uselessly. I have no ability to affect things in the world around me. Therefore, the best right. thing I can do is protect my inner emotional state, which I need to do by avoiding all news um, and simply right. repeating the word self-care over and over again and buying pumice stones, <laughs> um, and so it can be really, really challenging to, to come up with anything remotely workable in between those two um, opposites. but I think it is possible. And it, it, it usually, you, you kind of know when you've hit upon it cause you're like, oh, I feel like I did something useful today. I was of service to other people besides myself or, or, or my you know, immediate circle. Um, but then also I don't feel like I'm abandoning the world to burn by um, taking a nap or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. eating a piece of fruit and looking out the window and feeling good for a minute.
2: So before I let you two go, is there anything else that you would like to leave people with as we, like, forge on ahead and figure out how to move through the world these days? Danny?
3: Gosh, great question. Um, (laughs) I, you know what? Yeah, watch more Douglas Cirque movies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, interesting. Tell me more. I was just
3: thinking about um, All That Heaven Allows the other day, which is a movie that I really love watching, especially in the fall and in the winter. And um, I just, you know, I, they're, they're great, big, gay, intense, technicolor, windswept, beautifully shot movies. And, you know, even if nothing else goes well for you, you can watch All That Heaven Allows and think about you know how good Rock hudson looks in a jacket and um how beautiful jane wyman's face is in close up when she's sad and you know Mm. there you go it's easy anyone can do it uh if you have access to the internet and some time um and it it can't hurt you know it can't hurt
2: i love it i love it i've never i've never seen it so i will do that heather what about you
4: um well, I, I want to say briefly that everyone should read the Shatner Chatner, which is Daniel's uh, newsletter, mm, yes. because it brings joy to me every single time it lands in my inbox, because oh. it's almost always extremely funny. Heather, you're an angel. Um, <laughs> um, I, I guess I feel like being shut in our houses, in our apartments, all alone, it's a really good, I guess this is a two, such terrible advice, but it's a good time to kind of notice how many demons you're up against just on your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the process of working from home kind of put these things in my face a long time ago, but it has been true more than ever in the past year that that a lot of the things that you grapple with out in the world, like the ugliness of the world, um, a lot of this stuff is people not understanding where they end and the world begins you know the way that we experience the world is really a reflection so much of of how we process our own things and Mm -hmm. i just want to say that what i see in the world is like a lot of people who are ruled by shame and i think that a lot of my happiness has come out of figuring out how much shame i was carrying around and how much shame was ruling my existence i mean anyone who in fact is kind of funny is probably filled with shame and oozing shame and pushing shame on other people. But I think that when you really start breaking down the shame that you feel about who you are, you know, I realized one day that I just blame myself for everything I do and, and think that everything I do is wrong. And I've sort of crawled out from under that. And I'm just generally, I'm going to say 78% happier than I was before <laughs> when I battled my shame every day. And I, so I think that when I, I, that is the smallest. I'm not really summing
2: it up very well. So I I like to be long winded about these very (laughs) small ideas. Don't shame yourself, Heather. (laughs)
4: But I do think that, um, this is a great opportunity for a lot of us to look at what's inside of us and give ourselves a break and forgive ourselves for being human, you know, because all of the things, anything that comes up for you, even when you wake up with that monster, it's, um, you know, we are, we're all in the same place. Everybody's a monster. We just all have to kind of coax our monsters into trying to do some good in the world and trying to connect with other, other monsters.
2: Heather, Daniel, thank you both so much. This was a delight. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. It is a whole new year, which means a lot of you might be thinking about what kinds of habits you want to bring into 2021. And something you might not think of as a habit is the idea of gratitude. Turns out, and stop me if you've heard this before. Just kidding. You can't stop me. It's a podcast. You're stuck with me. But bear with me because I think this is really interesting. There have been several studies about gratitude, and you can Google this. But one study in particular found that people who took the time to write down what they're grateful for were happier and more optimistic. And not only that, but those same people exercised more and visited doctors less. That is insane. But why does gratitude work and how do I actually do it instead of just telling myself I should do it? And what is a grateful person anyway? Well, to help answer some of those questions, we got in touch with Joel Wong. He's a professor at Indiana University, and his research focuses on positive psychology.
5: Grateful people um, are better able to be able to notice as well as to appreciate the good things in their lives and the people in their lives that are um, contributing to their well-being.
2: Do you consider yourself to be a grateful person?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to be careful about how I answer that. The way I would answer it is that this is something I strive to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think the day I've arrived um, would be the day where I get complacent. So, so this is something I, you know, this is an area of research that obviously has huge personal relevance, and you know, it's something that I, I, I try to practice in my life.
2: So, what does that actually look like on a daily basis? There are many things you
5: can do. The one that the one very practical thing that I, I would recommend to everyone is to simply uh, start a gratitude journal hmm. and to write every day. And to keep it short and so that it's easy, um, just write three things that you're grateful for and and to say why you're grateful for it. And it doesn't have to be. Um, when I say gratitude journaling, I, you know, people start thinking about, wow, it's, you know, I have to write a long story. Now, just keep it the three sentences. I am grateful for X because of what? Um, and, and, and to write about it and not just think about it. That's the key.
2: So there really is something about the act of writing it down that makes you reflect more than just thinking about it. Is that the idea?
5: Yeah, I believe so.
2: Mm-hmm. Are there ever days, though, where you're just like, I am so sick of doing this?
5: yeah I no I, it is true i you know i, I this is something I, I try to do in my own personal life and yeah. um, the times when I'm not always successful and um the the more tired you are, the more you should do it that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, um, and it's one of the ways you can tell yourself that you're gonna derive more benefit out of it on days that you view tired and a little weary because it just helps to focus your mind on on, on what's positive. If you're feeling kind of tight and weird, it's probably because you've been dwelling on a negative and therefore you need
2: gratitude
5: even more. Uh, That's, that's what I would, I would argue.
2: That reminds me of hearing about how people who, for whom meditation is really difficult are also the ones who benefit from it the most. It's probably a similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. So what about in addition, in addition to writing something down, like, what if my friend and I started a thing where every day or every couple days we got on the phone and told each other what we were grateful for? Does that have a positive effect too? Could it? That,
5: that would be fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. I think that would be really, really good. And in fact, I think one of the best ways to keep uh, the, the gratitude journaling going on a uh, regular basis is some sense of accountability and some mm-hmm. sense of support, you know, social support. Like if you do it with a friend. Um, so, you know, this is what I recommend to, to, to combine the two, you do some gratitude journaling every day, Mm -hmm. and then you make a call to a friend and talk about, share what you wrote.
2: That sounds really nice.
5: There's something about that interpersonal connection that enhances the value of gratitude. You're kind of like mutually celebrating what you're grateful for. Um, and it gets even more powerful if you're expressing gratitude to each other, so that's the interpersonal components. Yes. Now that's the gift that keeps giving. Because when you express gratitude to someone else, that person becomes grateful to you.
2: Mm. And that
5: typically ends up expressing gratitude to you too. So it has a bit of that multiply effect.
2: Oh, I love that. So what about somebody who hears this segment? And, you know, I mean, I'm actually a perfect example. Like, I love this idea. I have, you know, you know, my therapist has told me I should try it. Like I like yoga and a lot of those other things. Like I am not terrible at like bringing positive habits into my life. But like this is just one that I just like have not made happen for myself. What like and maybe this is the million dollar question. Like how do I actually do it?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, A couple of suggestions. Number one. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to start a new habit if you do it with someone else.
4: Hmm.
5: And if you publicly declare that you're going to do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, like on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's,
5: uh, that was, you know, this is, By the way, this, is not just a, this doesn't just apply to gratitude. It applies to any new year resolution, any new habit you're trying to develop. Okay. You want to quit smoking. You want to, do, to lose weight. You want to, to tell as many people as possible. The more people you tell, the more it, the more people are going to check in on you.
4: Mm.
5: And the more you're aware. There's <laughs> a little bit of pressure there mm-hmm. uh, that this is going to happen. But, and better still, if you can do it with someone else, say, hey, you know, I, I'm going to start this new habit. Anybody wants to try it together with me. And then once a week, we'll check in with each other um, on how that's going. You know? so, so that accountability and support, you know, is, is um, really helpful. You know, habits are easier to pick up when they are what I call too small to fail. And mm. we've heard about the phrase too big to fail, mm-hmm. to make it as easy as possible.
2: That's amazing. That's very helpful. I think I'm going to actually do it. I think it's going to happen.
5: Great. I'll check in with you. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding.
2: Well, Dr. Wong, thank you so much. I am grateful for you and your time.
5: Oh, you're welcome.
2: Joel Wong, psychology professor at Indiana University. After the break, I am going to take up some of Joel's advice and get in touch with someone who I am really grateful for.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen
2: So I ended up reading 99 books in 2020. And out of all of them, the one that I think spoke to me the most intensely is called The Book of Delights. It's by Ross Gay. And essentially, Ross wrote like a mini essay every day for a year about something that delighted him. And in his introduction to the book, he talks about the phenomenon of while he was doing this, the more you study delight the more delight there is to study. And it was the exact reframing I needed when I read this book a couple months ago. Ross is our guest now. Ross, hi. Thank
1: you. Good to be with you.
2: I have to say this is especially exciting, partly because, gosh, I guess it was a long time ago now, uh, probably like five or six years ago, Nerdette podcast got an iTunes review from someone who complained that I used the word delightful too often.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So, yeah,
2: it was sort of like reading your book. It was just, I don't know, it affirmed a lot for me. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, For people who haven't read it yet, can you define a delight for us?
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, I don't, I can say what the book was, and then maybe I'll be able to say what a delight was in the process Mm -hmm. of that. You know, I basically, one day I was like having a, I was in the midst of a kind of lovely moment. And I, in my head, I said, oh, this is delightful. You know, I was kind of walking through, you know, fields of flowers, more or less. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, this is delightful. I should write a little essay about it. And then I immediately thought, oh, I should write an essay every day for a year about it. So, you know, so I set to myself that task to write an essay a day, um, to write them quickly, and to write them by hand. Those are my three little constraints. Mm-hmm. But the book ends up being sort of um, this this you know year long sort of exploration of things that that do sort of delight me and then the essays are basically like why does this delight me why do
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know high fives from strangers sometimes delight me why do <laughs>
0: <laughs> why
1: you know why is it delightful to ride a train and to notice how people just leave this stuff around on on the Amtrak train or whatever um, so in a way You know, that's all a long way of saying, I don't know exactly how to define a delight, except to kind of know it when it's happening. Yeah.
2: Well, it seems to me that in a lot of ways, it really can be anything, right? I mean, like, I think about pie for breakfast as being absolutely (laughs) delightful. (laughs) That's great. Or like, you know, a new leaf on a plant in your windowsill. Or like, I don't know, one that I noticed the other day was getting to the end of a tube of chapstick just because i feel like so often in our lives we don't actually use up the whole thing of something before we end up with a bunch more of them but to actually like stick with something long enough that you get to the end of it was just like oh
1: yeah this is kind of cool you know yeah 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 totally totally yeah yeah and that's one of the things i think uh, delights um there's some kind of like relationship between delight and curiosity because Mm -hmm. probably before you get to the end of a tube of chapstick it wouldn't have occurred to you that like oh this is ah, look at the end of the tube of chopsticks, you know? <laughs> what is so down it, there? Yeah, what's down there? So it requires some degree of like understanding that you do not understand what will delight you. Like there is more yeah. delight. There is more delight than you are aware of, you know?
2: Right, and like an openness, I think an too, to, to, to recognizing those experiences when they happen.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, oh, and right. openness and, and, and the kind of like, you know, I think part of what that book is sort of getting into is like a practice.
2: The yeah.
4: practice
1: of attending to the experiences. So ha- sort yes. of having your, having your um, radar onto them in a way.
2: So you wrote this book a couple of years ago now, um, very much not during a pandemic. So a lot mm-hmm. of the delights that you mentioned are things like, you know, having to move your leg out of the way at the coffee shop to make sure that you're not getting in someone's way or like a, a, <laughs> a random encounter with a flight attendant when you bring a tomato plant on board. <laughs> Um, I wonder, like, do you think it's harder now to find delights because the pandemic has, you know, in so many ways, we are so much more closed off than we used mm-hmm. to be, you know?
1: I mean, one of the things that that book, when I read from it now, I'm like, man, there's so much touching. There's so <laughs> uh-huh. much, there's so much contact, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the book. Um, so that's different. But my inclination is to say that um, there's still an abundance. Mm-hmm. Of, of delight. So, are
2: there ever days or were there while you were writing the book where you're just like in just enough of a mood that you're like, you know what? Fuck delight. I'm done. <laughs> you know? Like, some days yeah. it's hard.
1: Oh, it's hard. I know. I know. You know, it's, I think it's probably, there was probably a reason that I gave myself the task to do it every single day and that I gave myself the task to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a way of saying no. I didn't have that feeling, um, but I absolutely and I think it's it's kind of threaded throughout the book. You know, delight's opposite is to me is constantly present in that book, and that's sort yeah. of what makes the book interesting. You know, yeah, is that it's, totally. it's it's like delight in the midst of, you know, mm-hmm.
2: delight despite.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one of the another thing that I think is interesting is that. <laughs> I think it was sort of midway through writing the book. I think I I remember this, right? That my therapist was, you know, it was like, oh, you have a real hard time trusting people. (laughs) And he may have said it more emphatically than that. He may may have been like, you have a fundamental (laughs) (laughs) distrust, And I like lost my shit. I cracked up. So because I was like, oh, I'm writing this book in part. To sort of affirm this thing that I want to believe and I want to practice, hmm. you know. Um, so that's all a way of saying, look, I get it. And I think also part of the the impetus for the book or the what the book kind of ends up doing that I that I love is that it ends up being like a friend who can kind of be like, you know, tap you on the shoulder and be like, there is there is this too.
2: Yeah.
1: Which I think is sort of what. Being in community, part of the pleasure, the relief, the joy of being in community is that when it's almost impossible to do that, maybe someone will be like, and also, here's this. The practice of attending to your delight, it kind of reminds you or shows you the fact that you might constantly be in sort of like, in the midst of these things, but you just might not be noting them and articulating them. Yeah. You know, and then noting and articulating and then like sharing them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to me, that's like the thing. It's like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't realize this. And the more you get sort of like, oh, I didn't realize that this thing delights me, the more you're kind of like, oh, probably there are many things that I don't realize delight me.
2: Ross Gay, I highly, highly, highly recommend his collection of essays called Book of Delights. He also has a new poem out. It is called Beholding, and it's about Julius Irving, also known as Dr. J. You know, he's like a basketball person. I'm pretty sure I've heard of him before. You might not be surprised to learn that I don't really dig the idea of New Year's resolutions. I think they're a little unfair. I think they often make us really hard on ourselves. I am all about self-improvement, but I think you should do it whenever you want because you're the boss. But... That said, I did actually decide to adapt something of a resolution this year. And it is, perhaps unsurprisingly, to lean into delight. I want to double down on that. I want to have as much delight in 2021 as absolutely possible. And it got me wondering... If you have any New Year's resolutions and what you are thinking about when it comes to resolution stuff, is there something you are trying to bring into your life more this year? Is there something you want to stop doing? Whatever it is, we would love to hear about it. Just record yourself on your smartphone and then email the file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. All right, that's it for this week. The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. I would like to do a very special shout out to Hannah, who DM'd me on Instagram over the weekend to say, You should know, you were my inspiration for regrouting the tub. Hannah, I am so thrilled by this. I have no idea what the context is. And while regrouting the tub is not something I have explicitly condoned on the podcast, it is absolutely the vibe I am going for. So thank you very much for that message. It was a delight. Okay, love y'all.
0: Talk to you later. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen, Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.